Let's go in-depth on Hawkeye Sports with the Des Moines Register. It's time for Hawk Central on 1460 KXNO. Welcome to Hawk Central here on Des Moines Sports Station, 106.3 KXNO. My name is Andrew Downs. I'm in for Chad Leistico, who is on vacation this week, I believe next week as well. Uh, but he called me to come in and uh, and step in, and I'm always happy to do that. And I'm always happy to be joined by my friend Kennington Smith of the Des Moines Register, joining us on the phone. What's up, Kennington? I'm good. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Thank you for uh, joining me as always. We have a fun show for you tonight. Just a minute, we're going to bring in Alyssa Hurdle. She is the recruiting reporter for the Des Moines Register. We'll talk about some NIL, some uh, big recruiting days. It's uh, It's been a busy summer for the Iowa football team when it comes to recruiting, as opposed to last year, which was a little slow. Uh, we talked about that a few weeks ago here on the show, and, and we'll get into that a little bit more. Maybe pick her brain on Caden Proctor, uh, some other things like that. Kenny got a chance to chat with several members of the football team we'll talk about what they said the outlook for the season which is man just about two months away now and some basketball talk too before we get out of here at seven o'clock also we are live tonight so if you want to join the conversation ask a question give us a call 515-284-5966 or you can always hit us up on twitter he is at skinny kenny underscore i am at andrew c downs and hey she's at Alyssa hurdle here to talk some recruiting and more Alyssa, first of all, thank you for jumping on KXNO for like the third time in the last 24 hours. Uh, I We're going to have to start paying you, I think, but uh, we appreciate it. Yeah, happy to be here and happy to, to make my Hawk Central debut. You know, be, before, yeah, that's right. Hawk Central debut. You, we've heard you on Cyclone Insider a few times. You're covering recruiting for uh, both Iowa and Iowa State and really kind of the, the state of Iowa when it comes to recruiting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, before I turn things over to Kennington for you guys to get a little more in-depth on recruiting, I just want to catch up with you because this is your debut on, on Hawk Central and, and you're fairly new. You, you've been here a little less than a year. Uh, you jumped right in. I mean, you, you came what middle of football season, so yeah. you kind of hit the ground running there. Uh, but how are, how are you finding things, this kind of newish gig of covering recruiting here in the state? Oh, I absolutely love it. I mean, I, I can't complain. You have two really high-level Division One football programs in the state and you know, obviously no shortage of football and basketball talent, um, basketball on both the boys and girls side. So definitely get a lot of work, but it's it's a lot of fun. So you are you're covering like high school Iowa high school athletes who are being recruited and then the colleges here doing recruiting as well. It feels like a lot. It does feel like a lot. Fortunately, some of those in-state players go to the in-state schools, so it's like a win-win on both sides. And I heard you talking with Miller and Condon uh, here on KXNO earlier today, kind of talking about some of that Cyhawk rivalry and uh, you know picking up on some of that as as you're covering the recruiting and you know how it, maybe it's kind of nice when it comes down to Iowa and Iowa State for a local kid. It definitely is. I mean, it adds a little bit of excitement to the to the recruiting beat in terms of following that kid, um, and it's a win-win. You get both audiences are involved. They're really engaged, and I mean, both fan bases really care about recruiting. Have you been inundated in the the Cyhawk stuff yet? Like on on Twitter, have you seen like the vitriol? Have you seen you know are people coming at you saying, "Oh, she's obviously a Hawkeye or a Cyclone, anything oh, like that"? Yeah, oh, yeah. good, good. Yeah. It's a rite of passage. That's how yeah. it should be, right? Yeah, You're not doing I your have... job if people don't don't hate you a little bit. I have a little bit of bias, apparently, for for both sides. So. Oh, okay, good. That see, and that's how you know you're doing it right. Mm-hmm. Uh, is is when somebody calls and says. Well, she's obviously a Cyclone fan. And then the next guy calls, well, she's clearly a Hawkeye fan. Like, exactly. Okay, yeah, good. I'm, I'm right down the middle. 
I, I do want to turn things over to Kennington here for for a little bit to have a, a little bit more of an in depth recruiting chat with you, Alyssa, and, and I'll certainly jump in with a, maybe more of a fan perspective and, and try to clarify some things. But uh, Kennington, take it away, buddy. Yeah, for sure. Alyssa, appreciate you having um, the time to get on it and talk to us. Um, this is exciting because we're like the two youngest on the sports staff, so this is like the next-gen DMR having a chance to have a moment um, in the sun together. So thank you for joining us. Oh, absolutely. For sure. Well, we'll get right into it. And, um, you know, the biggest topic that's going on right now on recruiting at all levels is the NIL space and um, you know, we're working on uh, kind of like a one-year anniversary of NIL thing at, at the Des Moines Register right now for you, who covers the state of Iowa. You're talking to kids getting recruited by Power 5, Division 2, FCS at all levels. Um, just kind of what are your takeaways from maybe some conversations that you've been having with them um, leading up to, um, you know, this piece that you're going to have coming out? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think NIL is a really interesting landscape right now. Um, and the weird part is, is that, you know, it was it was meant for college athletes, but it's starting to, to obviously trickle its way down to, to high school sports as well. Um, and you, you look at the state right now, and I was fortunate enough to talk to Caden Proctor on the football side this or last week um, and Price Sanford from Waukee Northwest a few weeks ago. So two big names that, you know, NIL could potentially impact. And, you know, it, it, it's interesting to hear Caden talk about it because because, you know, obviously he's having those conversations. He's down to Iowa and Alabama, and both are two huge schools. Both offer different NIL opportunities. And, you know, he said it doesn't really impact his decision. He knows if he does things right, he'll have the opportunity to make money later on. But you have to think about the impact it could still have, you know, on the peripheral. If he if he goes to Alabama, you know, there, there's money at that school regardless. If he goes to Iowa, he's, he's a five-star in-state kid. He's well-known. He's recognized. He has the potential to make a lot of money, even if it doesn't interest him. Um, and the same kind of goes for Price Sanford on the basketball side. I mean, he's got offers from from Iowa and Drake in addition to a few others. And those are two programs where, again, he, he's a, a well-known face. His brother Peyton is at Iowa. And so whether or not NIL is something that they're factoring into their decision, it, it certainly helps them, um, you know, in the long run in terms of where they want to go and what they could do. Right. Um, I think the, the biggest question that I have is something that I've said in conversations with Chad when we've talked about this is I feel like at the highest level is kind of where the NIL conversation is being taken place when we're talking about the four- and five-star kids um, in, the, in the high-level programs. It just might not be as prevalent for maybe lower-recruited kids or those conversations are being had at the SDS schools or the D2 schools that they're being recruited by. Um, is that accurate, or are there being conversations held at schools like Drake and, and you and I and others in the NIO space? I think that, so Drake and you and I, definitely there's those conversations being held. As far as D1 and those lower levels, I'm not, or D2, I'm not really sure, but, you know, I think when you look at those kids that aren't four- and five-star prospects, there's still room for them to to make money. I mean, you never know what, uh, an organization, a business is going to want. You don't really know who's going to appeal. So, so you could have a two star. You could have an unranked kid as come in as a walk on, um, and just the community absolutely falls in love with him. So, I think you know there's obviously a lot of potential for for kids to make money regardless of of what their ranking is. Right. Uh, moving on to 
you know, kids who have just recently committed on the basketball side. I know you had a story for our Hawk Central subscribers uh, with Brock Harding and Cooper Koch, two very important priority prospects for Iowa who have committed. Kind of what were your takeaways in the conversations that you had with both of them? Oh, I mean, Cooper Koch is a big one. He's he's a legacy kid, um, and he just seemed really, really excited about going to Iowa, following in his dad's footsteps. And both kids, it was a program that they they fell in love with. I mean, I don't want to say instantly. I'm not speaking for him, but that's the impression I got when I talked to them. Um, and Brock Harding, Harding was super, super sold on Iowa, and he'll be there with his teammate Owen Freeman. Um, so I think they're building a really good class. You have two kids coming in with instant chemistry, and then you've got. Cooper Super Koch, if, if you watch his film, he's he's just insane all over the court. So three exciting gets if you want to throw Owen in there, too, for, for Iowa. And a huge pickup for the 2023 class in just the past couple weeks. Right. And I think the, the interesting part about Brock Harding is the connection with Matt Gatons. And I know mm-hmm. you're very connected to the Drake basketball program. And when he was hired, I found myself doing a lot of research on Matt Gatons, the kind of who he is and the type of recruiter that he is. And you're much more connected with Drake than, than I am. So maybe you can give me a, a little perspective on what maybe Matt Gatons is, is going to bring to the program and how maybe he impacted Brock Harding's commitment. Yeah, I mean, so... I don't want to, to lie and say that I'm best friends with Matt Gayton. Um, unfortunately, didn't get to know him super well uh, in my first year covering Drake. But, you know, he is super dedicated to the programs that he's a coach at. And I think that's going to be even more so going to Iowa because he played there. Um, you know, he's super dedicated to recruiting. He's young. He knows the game. So these kids can connect with him really easily. Um, and, and Brock Harding is one of those kids. When I talked to him, you know, Matt Gaytons was the main guy recruiting him at Drake. Um, um, and then he went over to Iowa, and Matt Gatons was the one that continued to go after him there. Um, and Matt Gatons obviously knows talent. He's seen it. He he developed it at Drake um, alongside Darren DeVries. And I think that's you know what he was able to do at Iowa very quickly was convince them that Brock Harding is a guy that they want on their team. And that's why you know he got an offer, and less than a week later, he accepted it. Right. A lot of trust there for Fred McCaffrey and Matt Gatons to to kind of take that evaluation and, and immediately bring him on and kind of speed up his recruitment in that aspect. So we're already kind of seeing the the impact that, that Matt Gaines has on the football side. But looking at Iowa, huge recruiting weekend over, over the past weekend, and they got a commitment uh, from Trevor Lauk. And our friends at the Indianapolis Star came out with a story where he was talking about him wanting to kind of jump on the opportunity to commit to Iowa while there were still spots available. Um, I think that that's really interesting considering that I feel like in recent years, we've seen a lot more kids kind of speed up their recruiting process, um, commit in the summer before their senior year to kind of solidify their spots. Know that you're connected with both Iowa and Iowa State, and both of them are in the teams in terms of commitment. So what are those kind of conversations like that you're having with those prospects where they're deciding maybe to commit earlier, get it out of the way before the senior year versus maybe playing it out and seeing what happens in December or even in February? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest conversations I've had with that lately, I mean, they both center around Southeast Polk, but on different sides, Caden Proctor uh, and then Abu Sama, who committed to Iowa State. Y- you know, both of them are kids that 
wanted to enjoy their senior season, wanted to focus on the team, wanted to, to focus, I mean, Southeast Polk coming off a state championship on getting another state title. Um, so I think that factors into it where after so many years of recruiting, or, or for some kids, a few months, you just kind of want to be done with the process. You want to, you know, have a place that you know that you're going to, someone paying for your college and move on. And I think across the board, that's kind of the case. You said as recruiting's picked up, these kids are getting offers younger and younger, and there's way more competition in the field. And, and you never know if you're going to get an offer one day and it's going to be taken away the next because someone else comes onto the scene or, or someone's quicker with their commitment than you are. So I think if it's a school that you're really interested in, with Trevor Lauk, it was, if, if that's where you want to be, if that's where you see yourself, and, and clearly he did after this weekend, I, I don't see why you would waste the time not committing when, when you know you have a spot then and there. Right. And you've been, um, I know this is a, a hot central show, but this is kind of a, a topic across all sports. We've talked about this on previous shows about the camp atmosphere that's been going on this summer. Kids getting offers from camp. We saw from Iowa with two of their commitments, David Calker and uh, Cannon Leonard. You've been at some Iowa State camps. Just kind of give us a picture of the competition level at these camps, um, how involved the coaches are and maybe the impact that you've seen from kids getting offers or maybe getting higher interest from schools like Iowa, Iowa State, others as a result of good camp performances. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, fortunately, unfortunately, I was only able to get to Iowa State's camps. Um, Iowa's aren't open to the public, so I can only speak there. But, you know, for me, I went because it's it's my first year covering this beat. I, I need to start figuring out the next generation of recruits, and, and that's the best way to do it. Um, and so even from my perspective, I was able to kind of hone in on kids that, you know, I hadn't even known before going out to that camp, and that's the same situation for these coaches. Um, you, you have a situation where after a couple years of not having these you can see players live and in person and and you know they're trying their best to get an offer and again I'll bring up Abu because he he was one that Iowa State had kind of been watching for a while but didn't get an offer until that camp um, David Cocker another one where you know they wanted to see him live and in person and he got an offer and for both of those teams you know separate sides of the state but they got huge steals with those players those those in-state wins um, and so it's definitely an opportunity for for some lesser known talent the non-Caden Proctors of the world to show that they're capable of playing at a Division One level. Right, and then in terms of of Caden Proctor, I know that we've been talking a lot about this, um, you know, through text about how he was on this big recruiting weekend, and it felt like there was kind of this growing momentum that a commitment was going to be coming soon. Um, and we still don't know when he's going to commit, so I don't want to hold your feet to the fire and you know press you for. Um, a hard prediction, but in your conversations with him, um, he did give the impression that it's going to be a little bit longer than kind of a snap decision after this official visit, correct? Correct. He, um, when we talked last week, you know, re- recruiting can always change. Recruits can always change their mind. And we've seen that happen with these big official visit weekends. Um, and so I don't think there's any question that this weekend might have had an impact. Um, you know, when it comes down to just Iowa and Alabama and you show up on campus and Tristan Wirths is there and, and tr- everyone's trying to convince you that you want to go there. I-, I understand where that buzz came from. And, you know, for all I know, Caden could commit tomorrow. He could continue 
commit tonight um, because, you know, right. if the timing's right and he wants to be on that program, then he, he could do it. Um, but I also get the impression that, you know, he, he's been in this for so long. He already has it down to his final two that there's no reason to rush the decision. He can think about it a while. He can get in some game visits if he wants to. He can take more unofficial visits to these campuses in the fall. I mean, he can really do whatever he wants and, and take as much time as he needs because the, there's no reason as a five-star to rush. You, you have a spot on either one of those rosters. Right. And I think that's a good point that you made about unofficial visits in the fall. And we saw the effects of the Iowa-Penn State game from last year, the, the home atmosphere, and how much of an impact that had on certain recruits like Xavier Wampa, Caleb Johnson, that ultimately kind of changed the course of their commitment. There's some big home games for Iowa this fall. Michigan and Wisconsin definitely stick out to me as games that Proctor might want to take in for himself and, and get a feel for, for that game day atmosphere one more time. Um, but I'll turn it over to, to Andrew if he has any questions. I know we've been kind of uh, monopolizing the, the conversation. No, it's been here. great, man. I, I've just enjoyed sitting here and listening. Uh, you know, along those lines that, that Kennington was just kind of hitting on, uh, one thing we did see when Xavier Wampa committed to Iowa was a bunch of other people kind of following him, right? And and uh, even crediting him and, and that commitment with maybe even taking another look at Iowa, but certainly coming to Iowa. Uh, how important is it for a program on the verge of a possible commitment from a Caden Proctor caliber recruit uh, to get that done as early as possible to kind of help with the rest of that class you know you bring up x i I don't know if it's that important to get it done early because he he committed pretty close to signing day and then signing day was when that rush of kids came in i i remember because i had to write all the articles but you know i think I think it could be beneficial. I mean, they had Kendrick Gilbert, who announced today as top four, and Iowa's in there, and, and he's a four-star. He's a big get. And I think, you know, if he's on the verge between Iowa and those other three teams, you see someone like Caden Proctor come on, and I'd want him on my offense. I'd, I'd want to play alongside him rather than against him. Um, so it could impact things like that, but I don't necessarily think they need to secure him super quickly in terms of, you know, getting in more talent. You know, I, I uh, we talked a little bit about Cooper Koch, and you know he's obviously a legacy. Is his dad Jr. played for Tom Davis in the '90s uh, at the University of Iowa? We just saw Keegan Murray get drafted top four in the NBA. His dad obviously played at Iowa. Um, I, I feel the two like played together. Yeah, right, absolutely. And and you know Chris Murray is kind of poised to to be the the face of this program moving forward alongside Patrick McCaffrey and Connor McCaffrey, and you know in years to come Jack McCaffrey and Cooper Koch. And uh, I, I feel like. Um, I, I see myself at times here on KXNO, not not necessarily in Hawk Central, but on KXNO as kind of a Fran McCaffrey defender because uh, you know he he has holes in his resume and he's got uh, he's rubbed people the wrong way over the last decade or so at times, uh, and so I feel like people try to kind of uh, downplay his effect on things whenever possible. And so when you see a commitment like a Cooper Koch, who feels like a big commitment, it feels like a big moment for the program. I feel like a lot of people say, "Well, he's a legacy. That that wasn't hard to recruit. That you." didn't have to do much there uh, I guess is, is there any truth to that like obviously you have a bit of a leg up if a kid's dad played for a program but it feels like it would still be hard to get a kid to, to come especially a kid of that caliber who can kind of choose where he wants to go uh, to, to come I, I guess what are like the uh, what's like the level of recruitment that still needs to go into a legacy kid like that yeah, absolutely. I mean, I should say that I'm I'm a little biased towards Fran McCaffrey because he's a Pennsylvania absolutely. guy. So, uh, actually, coached in my hometown. Oh, cool. Um, but you know, I, I think 
like you said, people underestimate the amount of effort that goes into that. Whenever I talk to these legacy kids, I mean, you have Cooper Koch. You have, he's not a legacy, but Price Sanford with his brother there. Yeah, right. Uh, even J.J. Cole at Iowa State. You know, people always say he's going there because of his dad. And the conversation I had with Cooper, I mean, he, he was very honored to be able to follow in his dad's footsteps. But his dad playing at Iowa played absolutely no part in his decision. Sure, he grew up you know, wanting to be a, a Hawkeye like his dad, but he's not going to pick a school where he's going to play four years and hopefully get into the NBA because his dad played there. Um, and so I think what a lot of people mistake is that there's no effort going in. He's a legacy. Yeah. Um, that's not the case at all. Um, and, you know, looking at his commitment and, and his decision to go there, the fact that his dad played a couple of decades ago and Fran McCaffrey still built a program at Iowa that kids legacy or not want to come to I think that says enough yeah I've got this vision of like 2028 the Hawkeyes are cutting down the nets headed to a final four and there's a there's a there's a contingent of fans who are like well but it was Cooper Koch who's a legacy and Price Sanford whose brother played for him and Jack McCaffrey you know he didn't have to really recruit any of these guys so that's a that's at least my hope is uh is that that we get there someday uh real quick Alyssa before we get you out of here and we appreciate your time what does what happened on Thursday night in the NBA draft. I guess what kind of effect do you think that can have on a program? Iowa hadn't had a first round NBA draft pick since 1998 and now Fran McCaffrey has put three guys into the NBA draft in two years and one uh, who, I mean, the, the story of Keegan Murray's from re- recruitment to NBA draft is is remarkable. I mean, you, you really can't uh, hyperbolize enough what what kind of a leap that kid was able to take, and so much of that is is on him for sure and his dad and his work ethic. But some of that credit goes to Fran McCaffrey and that program. What can that do for recruiting in the future? I think people are underestimating the talent pool um, in the state of Iowa, and then what Iowa is able to do with that. Yeah. Um, and I think it just goes to show that Iowa is a serious contender with those UNCs and those Dukes of the world. Um, when you have a number four pick, I mean, I talked to Cooper about that and he was like, yeah, it's, it's easy to see the vision. Yes. When, when literally this same week you have a kid that got drafted to the NBA. Um, and so I think that's a huge recruiting win in terms of what Iowa is doing because every basketball player's dream is to go to the NBA if they're playing at the division one level. And you want to go to a program that has a proven track record of that. And when you have that many players in recent history that can do that, at least for me, if I were in a crew, that's that's an easy answer. Um, Iowa clearly has the coaching staff to do that. They have players on the team that can help me get to that level. Um, and I don't have to compete as much. I could get instant playing time as opposed to, to a place like UNC or Duke where you kind of have to, to work your way to the top. And we've spent two decades praising Kirk Ferentz for taking kids and putting them into the NFL and, and how much that has done for that program. And so uh, it's, it's kind of fun to see some of that happen now for the Iowa basketball program mm-hmm. for the first time in a long time. She is Alyssa Hurdle. You can find her on Twitter at Alyssa Hurdle. It's a H-E-R-T-E-L uh, is how you spell that. And uh, find her work at Des Moines Register on Hawk Central, uh, uh, Cyclone Insider, all that stuff. And apparently here on the radio as often as possible. We do appreciate it, Alyssa. Oh, absolutely. All right. We are going to come back and talk a little bit more football with Kennington. He got a chance to catch up with a handful of players last week. We're going to do that next. You're listening to Hawk Central here on Des Moines Sports Station 106. Everything you need to know about the Hawkeyes. Hey, 
Welcome back to Hawk Central here on Des Moines Sports Station 106.3 KXNO. We are live tonight from the downtown studios here. Kennington Smith joining me on the phone. I am Andrew Downs filling in for Chad Lystico. Uh, we just had a great conversation with Alyssa Hurdle, the uh, new-ish beat reporter, uh, recruiting reporter uh, for the Des Moines Register. That was great. If you missed any of that or you missed any of the rest of this show, check it out on any podcast page you want to find. Uh, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcast, just search for Hawk Central or uh, go right to the Des Moines Register and that's where you're going to find work from my friend Kennington Smith. Uh, who is back with me here? And, and Kennington, let's let's talk a little bit more about football. We had a good chance to uh, talk to some talk some recruiting with Alyssa there, but you had a chance to catch up with a, a handful of players last Thursday. Yeah, definitely. We had several players available with us: um, Nico Regani, Tori Taylor, Mason Richmond, Jack Campbell, Quinn Schulte, LeSean Williams, John Wagner. Um, I'm not sure if I'm missing anybody, but we had seven, eight players. Um, it was really good just to catch up with them. Sam Laporta as well was somebody who was made available. And, um, you know, the biggest takeaway that I had was that it just seems like the team is a lot healthier now. That seemed like to, the overwhelming storyline of spring was there are so many starters out. We're trying to get backups a lot of reps. But overall, it was kind of hard to measure the progress of the team because there are just so many starters and key contributors out to injury. So there, it seems like the team is, is back together healthy. They were getting their, their summer conditioning, um, and they're ready to, to roll these next two months up until the uh, opening game. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, you're right. I kind of forgot about that, but that, that spring game, or, you know, for lack of a better word, the spring game was, was so strange because, yeah, there were so many players out and, and especially, you know, some of the big names that you really wanted to see. You felt like you, you maybe didn't get a great, uh, read on, on what the team was going to look like. And it's, it's going to be an interesting year because there's a lot coming back. Uh, there, there's a lot of, um, you know, I, I don't know about hype, but I think that there's a lot of uh, optimism about this team this year, but uh, obviously a lot of it's going to come down to kind of the same issue that we saw last season. You know, what does this offense look like? What does the quarterback play look like? Uh, you have a story out right now at Hawk Central on Nico Regani and kind of his mindset headed into his final year as a Hawkeye, which uh, his his career has had some ups and downs for sure. Um, you know, the, the the highest high, really the highest high you can really get with a program like Iowa, uh, the touchdown catch he made to beat Penn State uh, last year in that, that big game. But uh, he seems poised to have a an impactful season here in, a, in his final year in a Hawkeye uniform. Yeah, his story has so many layers to it. I mean, this is the longest tenure player um, not on the team in terms of games played, which is um, you might not guess that he would have played the most games on the team no. to this point. Um, led the team in catches in 2019, and then we've just seen his production kind of drip dip in 2020 and 2021 for various reasons. And he's just been a mainstay in the rotation. But I, I appreciated his candidness in the interview where he basically said that, you know, even though he is playing – um, you know, every week and he's a part of the rotation, it can be difficult for a receiver to stay engaged mentally when you were the best player on your high school team and at one point in time you were the leading pass catcher and you might only get one catch a game or you might only get the ball thrown to you two times um, in a game and you kind of take yourself out of it. But I think that he recognizes in this upcoming season, his last year playing for Iowa, that he has a great opportunity to kind of reinsert himself into the conversation of top pass catcher and press professional scouts um, and kind of leave a mark 
um, in his final year. So with the departure of Charlie Jones, I think that Nico is really primed to take um, you know, a stronghold position over that slot receiver spot. And I think with him, Keegan Johnson and Arlen Bruce, that's your, your top three pass catchers and um, your top three options going into the season. And um, you got to feel good about that with Nico being as experienced as he is and um, definitely the best route runner on the team. Yeah, you know, he, he as you mentioned in the piece, he's kind of the old guy in, in the receiver room now. And especially after that Charlie Jones transfer, uh, he, he's the guy with the most experience. But, you know, the, the guys around him are, are not just fairly inexperienced. They're, they're young dudes. Uh, you know, how do you kind of see his relationship with those younger guys like Keegan Johnson and Arlen Bruce, who I think all Hawkeye fans feel are are the future of this receiver position? Yeah, definitely. I think that you have to look at Nico as an extension of wide receivers coach Kelton Copeland. And I say that because Coach Copeland was very complimentary of Nico in spring availability. He said that there are so many moments in those meetings where Coach Copeland will say something and explain something, and then Nico will add on to it with his own experience and say, you know, in my experience, if I cut this route short, if I didn't do this or I didn't do that, this is the result. Or if I did this right, this is the result. And that is so impactful for young players like Keegan and Arlen, who we see their talent and we've seen them flash, but it really is going to be kind of those minor details that are going to turn them from good receivers to great receivers. So when you have somebody like Nico Regani who has been through it, he knows the offense as well as anybody on the team when he is able to kind of be that that mentor and those extra eyes and kind of that coach on the field and somebody who can, who can relate to them as somebody who's doing it alongside with them. That's really big for their development. And then when you look at the receiver room as a whole, there's going to have to be some young guys who aren't named Keegan Johnson and Arlen Bruce step up. There's going to have to be some, maybe some walk-ons in the program step up and fill some boys. So the fact that they can get that same type of mentorship from Nico is huge as well. Andrew Downs and Kennington Smith talking Hawkeye football here on 106.3 KX. I know it is Hawk Central. Uh, Kennington, I know you're working on a, a piece about Jack Campbell, the linebacker for the Des Moines Register. He's not the linebacker for the Des Moines Register. The piece you're working on is for the Des Moines Register. He is Iowa's linebacker. And, you know, it, it really feels like, uh, like I think all Iowa fans understand who Jack Campbell is and kind of where he falls in this, this really, uh, you know, almost two decade long line of great linebackers to come through this program. It, it feels like he may be poised for for like a national breakout season this year yeah i mean he was you know one of the best linebackers in the big 10 last year and um i think it was kind of unfortunate and the fact that when kind of iowa reached that pinnacle number two in the country and it seemed like they were maybe primed to be playing on national television more and really being in that national spotlight is when they kind of went on that and that skid and i think that in some ways for the national fan for the casual fan um kind of hurts and the fact that they really didn't get a chance to, to see Jack Campbell towards the, the end of the season. But we're going into 2022, and he's a preseason All-American um, on, a, on a few websites and a few publications that have come out with their list. And he's really going to be in the conversation for one of the top inside linebackers in the country. He's definitely going to be in the conversation um, for a top uh, draft pick in, in 2023. But he's really focused on improving himself and really pushing the room forward. That's kind of the gist of the story that's going to come out is – he is pushing the linebacker room to be the best unit on the field every single day. And when you look at what they have 
and frontline starters with him and Seth Bisson and Justin Jacobs and the depth behind them, they really are in a position to, um, you know, continue being the, the, the center of the Iowa defense, but even maybe take a step forward in 2022, which would be huge. That would be huge. And, and that it's, as you said, it's, it's kind of hard to believe that that's even possible, right? With, with how good they've been, how good they were last season and, uh, kind of the expectations placed on, on that group. Uh, you and I wanted to take a couple of minutes here and, and kind of talk about, uh, you know, what, which group, which position group on, on each side of the ball, uh, do we see possibly taking a, a bigger leap this year? So I guess I'll start with you and defensively. Uh, is it that, is it somehow that linebacking core that could go from, you know, really good to great or, or is there another position group you kind of have your eye on? Yeah, I think that for me, I'm going to go with the secondary as a group that I can think take a step forward, which is going to sound kind of wild. <laughs> You're right. First listen because they broke the school record uh, for interceptions, but I look at that group as a group that's really the only one that lost multiple starters and contributors from, from last year's team. You lose Matt Hankins, you lose Jack Kerner, you lose Dave Belton, and I look at Riley Moss coming back for, for his final year. I think Jamari Harris is primed to take a, a major leap. He played very well at Matt Hankins' place, and I think that especially at the safety position, when you look at Cooper DeGene and you look at maybe Xavier Wampa stepping up and, and maybe filling a role at some point in the season, there's a certain level of athleticism that's going to be present in that secondary that I don't think has been present in, in years past. I mean, DeGene and Wampa, those are just a different level of, of athlete, and Riley Moss um, is, a, is a great athlete as well. I just see that unit continuing the, the excellence that they've had over the last several years, and I think that the the excitement of the young players and maybe what they could be, I think that is is what's you know attracting me to believe that they're going to be a group that um, you know takes a step forward or or doesn't regress um, the fact that they lost so many uh, key contributors. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's a really good point. I think that's probably where I go as well, just because the strength of the other units as well, right? The the defensive line was good last year, looks to be good again. The, the linebackers, we just spent several minutes talking about how good they are. But I think that the names you pointed out uh, in, in the safeties, right? Cooper DeGene and the possibility of Xavier, Xavier Wampa coming in, you know, in, in a freshman season and making an impact. Jamari Harris looked great when he was out there. You got to expect he's going to Take a step, and uh, and there, there's really no weak spot. Um, we saw uh, we've we've seen now what four guys win win. Uh you know, Big Ten defensive back of the year, Riley Moss, the, the most recent. When we saw uh, Desmond King do that the, the following season, and, and he won the Thorpe Award his junior year, we, when we saw his senior season, people just weren't throwing at him. And so he wasn't able to put up the stats, didn't quite have the, the national recognition. I think it ultimately hurt him in the draft, although he's having a heck of an NFL career right now, just like we all kind of knew he would, really, from his, his freshman season. You could see it out there. But uh, the, there, there's no there's no throwing away from Riley Moss this year with uh, with with the the team that they have around him and man this defense just looks again to be I mean, among the best in the country, you know, they, they're just poised, uh, again, to, to do so well. So then let's look at the other side of the ball and, and will the offense be able to kind of pick up, uh, their stride and, and keep pace with the defense or at least, uh, give them something? What position group are you looking for to, to kind of make a big jump this year from last season? Right. Before I move to the offense, there's another name in the, in the secondary that I failed to mention. That's Kayvon Merriweather. Yes, so I think right. Uh, you know, a major step being a chance to being a full-time starter at safety and a, and a leader back there. So that's just another element to the secondary I think is going to be really strong. But looking at the offense, um, I'm really looking at, um, you know, of course the, the offensive line is, is the position that's going to have focus, but I'm really looking at the running back position as mm. an area that I think uh, 
you know, has a lot of intrigue there. I think that last year you had Tyler Goodson as the one, and then Ivory Kelly Martin had some fumbling issues. He also had some injury issues that he was dealing with, um, and it was kind of, um, you know, Tyler Goodson, then a big drop-off, and who was that next running back? And we saw Gavin Williams kind of come on at the end of the year, and we saw what him and Lee Sean did in the bowl game. But I think that those two, with the confidence and the experience that they got at the end of the year, and then you bring in two talented uh, freshmen and – Caleb Johnson and um, Jazion Patterson, I think that that's an element that is going to kind of add something new to the offense. I think definitely Caleb Johnson is a back that Iowa hasn't really had in the program in, in the last few years. I think he's going to be a, a great fit, and I'm really interested in how Liddell Betts and Brian Ferentz kind of cook up different formations and, and schemes and how they plan to, to use these running backs. So I expect Iowa's rushing offense to be much better, and I um, you know, expect the, the running back room to be um, a little more deep than it was last year. Yeah, you know, it's funny because Tyler Goodson was so good, but it, it does feel like this this group, and yeah, so yeah no, nothing, nothing bad about Tyler Goodson, obviously, but it does feel like this group is poised to kind of take Iowa uh, up up a, st- a step there. I will go with the offensive line and just, just the hope that another season, there were so inexperienced last year, and in Kirk Ferentz's 22 seasons, we, we haven't seen very many offensive lines who struggled as much as this one did a year ago, and and how much did that then impact Tyler Goodson? How much did that then impacted uh, the quarterback play and, and all of that? So really, with Iowa every year, it, it starts and ends with the line, and and so my, my hope, I guess, is is that this line finds some ways to gel, finds uh, that, that experience, a, a full offseason kind of coming together, and, um, and you know, maybe... Maybe I'm I'm holding out hope a little bit more than I should here, but you know maybe some changes to some offensive philosophy to to kind of help that offensive line a little bit. Uh, obviously, the quarterback play needs to take a step up if if this team is going to uh, you know legitimately compete for a Big Ten championship. The they, the Spencer Peters has won a lot of games. He I saw the video of him throwing like an 80 yard pass at the Manning Passing Academy over the weekend. Like he he has the skills. Um, it, it's it, but I. I think we kind of know what we have with the quarterbacks, and so I'm not like banking on some huge jump in quarterback play uh, this offseason. I am kind of banking on a pretty big jump uh, with the offensive line. Yeah, I think that, to your point, the, the thought here is that as other position groups can elevate, that will elevate the play of the quarterbacks. If you can get the, the running game moving a little bit more downhill. I know Tyler Gilson ran for 1,000 yards last season, but throughout the course of the year, it was tough for Iowa to establish a consistent running game, you know, week by week. Maybe if they can, they can get that going and, and have it consistently, that will open up more opportunities for play action or for, for Spencer or Alex, whoever the quarterback is going to be, to, to push the ball down the field. So I, I definitely agree that uh, – we kind of know what we have at the quarterback position, but maybe there's a, a belief that, you know, offensive line gets better. You get to have to run the ball a little bit more. Maybe you get the, the tight ends involved a little bit more with, with Laporta and, and Lachey um, in passing situations as well, kind of open things up for, for the offense. And to your point about changes in the offense, I think that, again, the injuries kind of stalled what changes we might have been able to see in, in that spring practice when you don't have all your starters out there to be able to kind of install some things or, you know, put things out there and, and execute it at the high level. I think that we're not going to be able to see that until probably the first game of the season. But 
I think we're all on the same page here that the offensive line improves, running game improves. That'll just, you know, open a lot more up for, for the offense and probably make the quarterback, you know, a lot more comfortable back there. We're going to talk a little basketball in our final segment. Before we do that, we did have a bit of news this week as Iowa announced a bunch of non-conference games in the coming years. And, you know, honestly, it's just nothing too exciting or unexpected. A lot of directionless schools, uh, a lot of programs we're familiar with, UNI, Northern Illinois, uh, I didn't make a huge splash, Kennington, with, with these, these announcements. Yeah, uh, I think that my biggest takeaway is that this is going to be the last time for the foreseeable future that we're going to see non-conference games um, this week for Iowa, with all due respect to the opponents that they scheduled. Um, now, I referenced the alliance and the article that I wrote about this schedule release, and that seems like you know so long ago that that was announced <laughs> in the talk of college football expansion, but it really was just last year that we were having this discussion then. Under the alliance in this proposed agreement, Iowa will play their, their Big Ten slate, but they will play one game a year mm. from a school in the Pac-12 and a school from the ACC. So once we get into this, you know, the alliance era, that's when you're really going to see a really tough strength of schedule for, for Iowa um, and, and schools across the Big Ten and, and across the country. So I know it's not, you know, super exciting right now, um, but, you know, I, I'm sure these Hawkeye fans are going to be locked in for life. And in the next, you know, several years, you're going to see a major uptick in competition. And um, the schedule is going to get a lot more exciting. And you, we just don't know what the shifting landscape of college football is going to look like. I mean, right now, the Big Ten has divisions and has non-conference games. Will that be the case two years from now? I don't know. So, yeah, there, there's a lot of room there. I'd kind of forgotten about the alliance thing, so that, that's a really good point. I appreciate that. Let's move on to hoops when we come back. Uh, I want to talk about, uh, you know, the, the, the new opponent Iowa has, the six uh, Power Five conference, non-conference games they, they have right now. It's going to be a busy December for the Iowa basketball team. We'll talk about that and more on Hawk Central when we come back. It's 106. Number FDIC. Everything you need to know about the Hawkeyes. It's Hawk Central with the Des Moines Register on 1460 KXNO. Andrew Downs bringing you home here on Hawk Central alongside Kennington Smith of the Des Moines Register. Let's move to hoops here in our final few minutes here, Kennington. Uh, First of all, before we get into uh, the the current team, you were all over the NBA draft last week where Keegan Murray went number four to the Sacramento Kings. People could read what that means for the Kings and for Keegan at DesMoinesRegister.com, but how big is this for the program in your mind? It's huge. I mean, you you know, you heard Alyssa talking about it earlier. The impact that is going to have on recruits when they can see something tangible in front of them as a Keegan Murray and say, you know, this is somebody recently who, who entered into the program, got picked in the first round. You had Luca Garza, Joe Weiss can't become draft picks last year. Chris Murray seems to be a draft pick going um, ahead. And next year, we don't know what's going to happen with other players like Patrick McCaffrey, Tony Perkins. There could be more draft picks on the way. So I think it's huge for the program to be able to have somebody as kind of a, of a champion for the program and being very upfront about what it means for, for Iowa doing it for Iowa. I think that's what Keegan said when he was at the draft and they said what it means to, to him. He said, you know, for a program like Iowa, this is, you know, kind of being able to chance to put them on the map. So when you have somebody that, you know, that highly touted, that highly drafted and also being, you know, a representative of the, of the university, that's only going to push Iowa's national brand forward um, and help them in recruiting and kind of, you know, have a permanent stamp on the national landscape. Last week we got another schedule announcement as Iowa's non-conference schedule is uh, is starting to come together. It'll be Seton Hall at Seton Hall in the Gavit games. That that makes six Power 5 matchups. Uh, it, first, first of all, I guess, what was your reaction to, to that announcement, Iowa at Seton Hall for the Gavit games? 
Yeah, I, I love it. I think that, you know, first of all, Seton Hall is a very respectable basketball program. They've won 20 games, six out of the last seven years. And for the people who tuned into March Madness and followed St. Peter's story, Shaheen Holloway, who's the head coach at St. Peter's, is now back at his alma mater at Seton Hall. So you have a chance for, for Iowa to go and, and play against him and, and his team, and they're going to have high expectations as well. So that's going to be a really good opening early test for Iowa um, you know, as they enter into their non-conference schedule. Six Power Five non-conference games already on the schedule. You have that Seton Hall game. You've got Clemson, uh, Cal, or TCU at the uh, Emerald Coast Classic, Georgia Tech, Duke, and Iowa State, one of those jumps out at you, right? Duke with uh, at Madison Square Garden. That's a game that Iowa fans uh, don't get very much. Uh, that's obviously, I think, the the most intriguing of these six games. But outside of that, Kennington, uh, do you have any of these circled? Yeah, definitely the um, the Emerald Coast Classic, yeah. where they're going to play, you know, Clemson and either Cal or TCU. Just a chance for for Iowa to to leave Iowa City, go somewhere new, play an opponent that they haven't seen before, um, and just kind of like working out those, those early season kinks or maybe seeing how, how well they gel against quality competition. I think that, um, you know, Clemson's a program that's been kind of teetering the NCAA tourna- tournament bubble the last few years, so they're a quality opponent. Um, I, I expect TCU, a program under Jamie Dixon, that's really turned the corner to beat Cal. And Iowa-TCU early season matchup is something that's going to be really intriguing. I think those are two tournament teams, and I think that would be an opportunity for Iowa to get a quad one win early in the season. So um, that's kind of what I have circled on my calendar. But all of these games are, are really intriguing, and um, I think it has to be exciting for, for Iowa fans to, to see them playing higher-level competition and getting a, a chance to be more excited about Iowa basketball early this season than maybe last year where you knew they were going to start 6-0, 7-0, wherever the case may be, and having to wait a little while to kind of get up for a big game. Yeah, nice to see them get back into, into one of these big uh, you know, holiday tournaments, the, the Thanksgiving week tournaments at the Emerald Coast Classic. I think that's I think you're right on there because you have a chance to play a good TCU team uh, for a championship down there if you get through Clemson, uh, which is another intriguing game. Um and, and, and Iowa's seasons have uh, a couple of times in recent memory kind of gone the way that their Thanksgiving tournament has gone. Uh, a few years ago, they went, I believe, to the Bahamas and, and really struggled. And, and that, that was kind of a, an omen for the season. And then uh, a year after that, I think they went out to Vegas and, and beat Texas Tech and had a really good uh, uh, tournament there and, and, and played pretty well there. Obviously, that Iowa State game is, is circled here in the state. Uh, Iowa gets Iowa State at at Carver Hawkeye Arena, and that rivalry is just so much fun. It's just so hard right now with Iowa State for, you know, I know this is an Iowa show, but Iowa State is just in this mode where they're kind of rebuilding every year, and so you don't know what this team's going to look like. There's not a lot of bad blood or anything between these players. Uh, so, But but I do think that's that's one that you have circled. And, man, you, you put those six games that we just mentioned together with two early Big Ten games in December, and you're really looking at from like from Thanksgiving to New Year's, uh, the slate that this team is going to have to go through. We're going to learn a lot about this team, this Iowa Hawkeye basketball team, uh, before before 2023, the, the calendar turns to 2023. Yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, again, going back to last year, you knew the team was going to start 7-0 before they, they played, um, you know, kind of competition on their level. We're going to find out very early what, what this team, you know, is early on. I think that this team is kind of ready for it. You know, they're an experienced team. A lot of players who have played 30-plus games. There's multi-year starters and contributors on the team. And I think that 
no, looking at this early season split and then you add in the Big Ten games, if you can get on the other side of that stretch, you know, above 500, I don't know what that record might be, but if you can rack up, you know, maybe five, six wins out of, out of eight, or maybe six out of ten, those six wins that you're going to have, you know, several of them are going to be high-quality wins, especially if you can get a win over a Seton Hall or a, a TCU or even a Duke. That's a win that's going to um, that's going to hold firm throughout the year. You know, a conversation last year in January and February was, you know, is Iowa finally going to get a quad one win? Mm-hmm. What is their standout win for, for their tournament? resume um it ultimately didn't matter because they won the big 10 tournament but just kind of you know securing those wins early and then you know hoping that a, a team like a duke or a tcu continues their consistency throughout the, the season to make iowa look better i think is um you know really what what you kind of have to circle and watch out for you know as we get into the early part of the year and and again as you mentioned earlier in this segment it's just really nice to see iowa scheduling some of these teams and, and and getting you know i guess playing themselves into a position to be matched up with some of these teams and you know the, the acc big 10 challenge the gavit games where they, they don't get to choose who they play but uh you know if, you, if you're a, a program of note they want to put you together with a program of note uh, a lot has been made of iowa's non-conference scheduling in years past and i'm sure certainly will be a some point again, but uh, you can look at this non-conference schedule, man, and, and really, like I said, this this 2022 slate for this team before the calendar turns and uh, and and see a lot of fun. It's it's. I, I know you guys were able to, to talk a little bit with some basketball players. I, I will say the thing that I'm most excited about as a basketball fan, as a Hawkeye fan right now, coming out of that program, obviously the the development and the increased development of Chris Murray, of Pat McCaffrey, of Tony Perkins, of Aaron Eulis is is huge. I think we kind of know what we have in Connor McCaffrey and Philip Robracha. The thing I'm most excited about is the hearing that Peyton Sanford has grown an inch and is, is getting more confident, that Riley Mulvey uh, is turning heads, that DeSante Bowen comes in looking like he's ready to play uh the the young guys on this team feel like they could have a real impact this season yeah and i mean that was the case last year i feel like there were so many question marks about who are going to kind of be the guys after keegan and jordan bohan and who are going to step up and there are players who had to play on the road and there were just you know freshmen like team sanford you didn't know what you were going to get and those young players played really well last year I think that you kind of have to feel good about the expectation for them to play this year. And, you know, going along the point of the opportunity of playing in these big games, I mean, look at the opportunity for Chris Murray. I mean, what if Chris Murray has a 30-point game against Duke and they win? Or what if Peyton Sanford has, you know, five, six threes against TCU and they win? Those are going to be the kind of games that are going to put them on, on a national spotlight. So, really exciting time for Iowa basketball. He is Kennington Smith. I'm Andrew Downs. This is Ben Hawk Central. We now go to Trent Condon, who's got a big baseball game.